Pro Talk with ProTech, digging deep to learn the stories, lessons, and accomplishments of experts in the real estate industry. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pro Talk with ProTech. Today we get to meet top real estate agent Mina Herrera with Miner and Associates of Keller Williams Capital Properties. Yay! Miner, thank you so much for being here with me today. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Uh, good. Thank you. So just to get things started, let's hear a little bit about you. Um, how long have you been doing real estate and how did you end up uh, being a real estate agent? Okay, it's a very long story. How much time do we have? As much as you got. We started in... Uh, okay. I started in 2005 getting licensed, um, and uh, this is a really long story. I don't know how much depth you want, but I'll, gi- I'll give it to you. Okay. Yeah. So I was working in public relations at the time. I was doing my thing, doing really great, uh, having a good old time, And but my dream had always been to own a place at the beach. Now, when I was in school, uh, my family was very big on education, said, you got to go to college, got to go to college. Great. I went to college, but I didn't have a plan afterwards. I graduated. My dad's like, hey, you have to go to grad school. I was like, whoa, I don't want to go to grad school. He's like, no, 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 you have to go to grad school. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to grad school. And he goes, well, then you have to buy a house. And I was like, oh, serious? I'm 22 years old. What am I going to do with a house? He's like, no, 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 you have to buy a house. I was like, if I buy a house, like, can I live my own life at that time? And he goes, yes, that's the last thing I'll tell you to do is to buy a house. Great. So um, I was working in public relations. I was DJing on the side, just having a blast, living the dream, all that stuff. And I just started saving up my DJ money. And within six months, I saved $10,000. And I was able to buy a two-bedroom condo in downtown Bethesda in 1999 for $99,000. Wow. Yes. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, it was that simple. I rented out the room, the extra room to a friend of mine for $600 a month and the mortgage was $700 a month. So I was like, wow, this real estate thing is kind of cool. Right. So um, that was in 1999. Market took off. Downtown Bethesda really developed like I thought it would. And um, I was playing flag football, very competitive, had a men's team, had a co-ed team. And uh, one of the gals I was playing with, who, as a side note, looked like Monica Lewinsky, um, she goes, you have so much equity in this house. Like, it's unbelievable. I was like, I don't really know what that means, but it sounds good. Cool. And uh, she's like, you should refinance because the interest rates are low. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. And she's like, and we'll do your settlement. I was like, okay, I don't really know what that means, but if I'm going to save money, I'm all for it. So she did the refinance, came to my house, and I happened to blurt out, one day I'd like to own a beach place. And she goes, you have $200,000 in equity in this condo. You can use that. I was like, I don't really know what that means. So she explained it to me, and I was like, huh, that sounds cool. So I called up the bank, and the bank is like, um, yes, we can give you a HELOC home equity line of credit. Um, how much do you want? I was like, I don't know, how much can I get? And they told me like 200000 250000 And I was like, great, I'll take that. And, they go, and she goes, honey, don't spend the 250000 I was like, that's stupid. Like, I'm not going to buy a car on a 30-year mortgage, right? So uh, I refinanced, and I took the money out, and uh, I went shopping with my wife, Ina, and uh, we went to Ocean City, looked at nine places in February, and we bought the first one we saw. Wow. And we were like, oh my gosh, we just bought like a beach condo, two bedrooms, two baths, walking distance to the beach. It was awesome. And uh, we hired a property management company to, um, to rent it out, and they were terrible. Uh, they did a total of $4,000 in business that first summer, and I referred $2,000 of that 
of that money. And it was just like, this is crazy. Like I did most of the work here. I don't think you guys know what you're doing. Um, and so by then I have had two experiences with realtors. The first on my purchase of my condo in downtown Bethesda. And that was a really bad experience. I had met that realtor at a mall kiosk, if you can believe that. And so um, that person was terrible. I won't say her name because she's still in the business. But she was very high pressure and was pushing me to buy something. I'm like, I'm 22 years old. Like this is I'm spending all the money in the world that I have, right? Like this is a big deal for me. And so I uh, got into a multiple bid situation at a time when they didn't exist. And I was competing with one of her clients, which seemed all kinds of sketchy to me. And I didn't win, so I fired her called up somebody else I found in the yellow pages, which is um, the equivalent of the internet back then. And uh, the guy goes, um, you were looking where? And I was like, oh, in Whitehall. And he goes, huh. He's like, I found another unit for you. He's like, uh, it's on the same floor. It's an end unit, so it's bigger and it's a little bit cheaper. I was like, oh my gosh. So I went and saw that place and I bought it the same night and it was crazy. Uh, so um, that was a good experience, but that guy never stayed in touch with me, mm. right? So now two experiences with realtors. My third one buying at the beach, um, this woman uh, was trying to help me negotiate, but I was being more aggressive to her than her. And when it turns out that I was right on the negotiations, she was surprised. And I was like, do you know what you're doing? She goes, well, you know, I do this part-time. This isn't really my full-time gig. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're terrible at this and then the property management was terrible um, so I took a class in DuPont Circle with this woman and um, it was called how to how to rent your vacation properties and I was like oh this is apropos took the class and thought huh this woman seems very smart and but she's just trying to sell me her book and uh, I didn't buy the book and I took the class and a week later I bought the book um, I bought it at a place called Barnes & Noble, which was the Amazon of the internet back then. So um, turns out that woman was one of the founders of VRBO, which is Vacation yeah. Rentals by Owners, uh, which you know was the beginning of Airbnb and all that kind of stuff. So I got in on the ground floor with her telling me you know, all her rhetoric on how to do this stuff. And I was like, huh, I think I'm going to do this my own. So I fired my property management company. In the first month, I generated $4,000 in rentals myself. By the end of that summer, I generated $15,000 in rentals. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. I don't know why people don't do this more. So we bought another beach condo. So here I was at the age of like 29, 30, we now had three properties. And every one of the dealings I had with realtors along the way were pretty bad. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna get my own real estate license so I can handle my own transactions. So I did, but now we're in 2006, uh, actually 2005. So the market was peaking. There was like, I think we had 90 to 100 students in my real estate class. And by the end, 30 finished. Um, and I made sure I stayed to the end because uh, I would read and highlight, you know, I was still fairly young and college educated and I took it seriously. And um, I would correct the teacher at times. I would say, hey, I won't say her name because she's still in real estate. <laughs> And she'd be like, okay, we got Professor Minor. Professor Minor has something to add. I was like, I don't want to add anything. I just want to, you're teaching the wrong thing. Like in the book, it says blah, blah, blah. And she goes, okay, well, let's just run everything by Professor Minor. I was like, sorry. <laughs> so uh, after we finished the class at the uh, famed Weikert Real Estate Academy, um, I stuck around because I wanted to see who got the highest score because I'm a little competitive. And so uh, my teacher said you can leave like I'll grade these I'll get back to you I was like no no no. I want to see who got the best score she's like fine she finished and I stayed for like an hour she goes fine you got the best score are you happy I'm like well yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you so I started using that as a marketing ploy 
number one student in the Weikert Real Estate <laughs> Academy for my graduating class or something like that. That was my marketing thing. And this is the end of 2005. So going into 2006, I was a brand new realtor. I got licensed, I think, in January. And uh, oh, I'm sorry, in December of 2005. So then when I started in January, when people would ask me how long I've been doing this, I'd be like, oh, I've been doing it since last year. When it was really just a month, right? So that was sort of the secret. And so um, I started doing it. By then, I was doing public relations on my own. I was making six figures, had my own little shop, um, had a bunch of freelancers, was doing well, and I couldn't gain traction in real estate. I just, I was part time. I couldn't get it going. I would try. Sometimes I would go to the meetings. Sometimes I would take classes. Sometimes I would do open houses, and I couldn't do it. And so I was floundering because my wife was a stay-at-home mom because my son was born in January of 2006, the same time I got started in real estate. And my wife, being from Norway, was like, in Norway, we get a year off when we have kids. And I was like, well, we're not in Norway, um, so we have to work. Like, we need your money. And she negotiated with me, and we agreed 10 months she would take off. So you can see who won that negotiation. <laughs> So about six months into my real estate career, I couldn't get any business going. And she's like, you know what? Either do it or stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so we had a good heart to heart and I gave up my PR clients. In wow. 2006, when the market had already peaked and was coming down and people were getting out of the business. And my dad goes, what are you doing? You have a baby, a stay at home wife and three mortgages. And now you're going to do this career where they don't pay you. There's no salary. There's like, you don't even have experience in this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, my wife, Ina, said it was okay. <laughs> so we did it in August of 06. We went full time. And then I was, we had a team meeting, an office meeting. And I realized that for me to meet my financial goals, I would have to be top five in every category. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? Like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, this is crazy. I was like, well, I guess I have no choice. I have to do this. So I was there every day at 9 a.m., like a real job, and nobody was in the office, and I would be there till like 5 or 6. And people would stroll in at around 11, go to lunch for two hours, come back, and then leave by 3. And I was like, I don't understand, like, how this, like, why are people leaving late, uh, coming late and leaving early? And I was like, well, I don't know what they're doing, but this is the only way I know how to work. And I got my first deal six weeks in. And I was like, oh, thank God. Uh, now that deal would fall apart two weeks before settlement. Um, but by then I had another deal under contract and then another one. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I can just do one deal a month, I'll be okay. And so by the end of my first 12 months, I had done 13 deals. Wow. And I was like, woo. And I was doing really well when people were starting to tank and get out of the business. And by the second year, I was number one in my office in uh, Bethesda, Chevy Chase. Um, and I thought I was lucky and everybody kept asking me what I was doing. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm here every day, like at nine o'clock. Like mm -hmm. I, I treat it like a job. I don't know what you guys are doing. I was like, I just know I have like a baby to feed. Like, and so, um, yeah, fast forward and my wife never went back to work. And now, you know, we have a team and we'll close just under a hundred deals this year. And no, that's the story of how and why I got into it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think that, you know, just one of the reasons why you've been so successful uh, and you kind of hear this throughout your whole story uh, is you just do it and, yeah. you, and you go all in. And mm -hmm. with, with every situation, every big decision, you make it pretty quickly yeah. because you know that you have to, you yeah. have to get to the next step. Yeah. The funny thing is I think I'm a dive head first in kind of guy, mm -hmm. but over the years I've started to realize that I'm not, 
but once I make the decision, once I'm in the water, I'm like, well, let's swim now. We're yeah. here now, yeah, right? Uh, so yeah, no, it, it paid off to me. In retrospect, it was a very stupid decision. Um, it really was a big gamble, big risk, but you know, I was out of my comfort zone. I took a risk and it paid off. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too that so many people get into real estate for the reason of I can now create my own schedule and I can have more flexibility. And you kind of went in right away, said, you know, going to work at nine o'clock. Yeah, it was like a job. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Treating it like a business right Mm -hmm. out of the gate. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, So you mentioned that you have a team, uh, Minor and Associates. Do you want to talk a little bit about your team and when you decided to make the transition into growing your team and what that process has been like? Yes. So as I mentioned, by year two, I was number one in my office and I was like, okay, but I got really lucky, you know, this year, who knows what's going to happen next year, the next year. And I think I did about 10 million. And the next year, um, I had one, $2 million lead. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did really well, but I was really lucky because I'm not going to get a $2 million lead every year. And then the next year I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe this. I'm doing really well, but I really don't know what I'm doing, right? I'm just sort of figuring it out, right? And so um, what I realized, though, is that my business wasn't growing. It was just staying the same. Well, it was growing a little bit. I think I did 13 deals the first year, then 17 deals, then 19 deals, and 22 deals, and 24. So it wasn't growing at a huge pace, but it was doing pretty well. Um, but I just couldn't figure out how to break through, right? I couldn't break through that, the two deals a month thing. Um, but, and nobody could show me because everybody around me was like, oh, you're so awesome. And I was like, I know I'm kind of awesome, but like, how do I become awesomer? Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that the pond I was swimming in was too small, mm-hmm. right? By year two, I was teaching classes, but I didn't even know what I was doing. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was just shooting from the hip, right? And uh, just getting by on my good looks. And I knew that would not be sustainable. So uh, I was on the board of directors for GCAR and um, I met this guy named Marcus Jaffe, who was the founding broker of Keller Williams Capital Properties, mm-hmm. right? He, in the original Capitol Hill office. And he was like, uh, hey, you know, you seem like a smart guy, blah, blah, blah. You have a lot going on. And I was like, yes, yes, that's all true. Um, and he's like, we should have lunch. Okay, I'll never turn down a free lunch. So he started hitting me things with like generational wealth development, mm-hmm. business development, growing a team, like things that I had never heard of before, which are really just general basic business concepts, but no other realtor had ever talked to me that way. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're talking about creating wealth in a manner that's going to impact generations of your family to come, right? Like, he really struck a chord with me, right? Um, and so then he introduced me to Bo Mankiti, and they were like, we want you to be a partner in our office that we're starting. And I was like, that's super flattering. Um, what is Keller Williams, <laughs> right? Never heard of it. I was like, you seem a little, this is kind of a shady office you have here. It's not nice. I don't, your logo is kind of ugly. Like I've never even heard of you guys, but I'm super flattered. And uh, the more I talked to them, I was like, these guys are really smart. And so I took the leap. I joined an office that had no office space, no broker or team leader. And it was just a vision. Just a, we were like, we're going to create this, this office. 
And so it was a big risk because I was leaving, you know, Weikert that had where I had started and grown and all that kind of stuff and uh, to join something that didn't physically exist. It was just a concept. And so there were seven of us that started this thing and uh, it was a big risk. I got out of my comfort zone, but I went there with the sole purpose of creating a team, right? They were going to show me how to grow and be players like they were. And so I did, and um, that's how I wound up at Keller Williams. And there were seven realtors that started the original. There were four partners and seven of us that were like the founding charter members or whatever we called it. And um, I was in charge of culture or education. I don't even remember. And I said, the first class we should have is how to hire an assistant because that's what I wanted to learn. Yeah. <laughs> and the instructor's like, well, great. It's a paid class. We need at least seven people. And I was like, well, there's only seven of us in the office. They would all have to sign up. So I got like four of them to sign up. And then I found three people outside the office to sign up. And we had it. And I took this class and I was like, great. Now I know how to hire an assistant. I went and hired an assistant. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that year, the year prior, I did 33 sales, 32 sales. And then the year after hiring my assistant, guess how many sales I did? Take a guess. 50. I did 33. 33. So <laughs> I improved by one, right? I improved by that. one. However, the difference was that I wasn't working 24 hours a day, mm. right? I remember we went to a training and we were out to dinner and she goes, man, I was like, how do you like the job? She's like, it's awesome. There's so much to do. I can't believe it. She's like, there's just so much and I'm so into it. She's like, I dream about real estate. Which was funny because that was about the time I had stopped dreaming about real estate. I was like, oh, awesome. You're taking like the stress off of me or the burden that I feel, right? And uh, she was taking all this work off my plate and it was great and I loved it. So it was months 6 to 18 that we grew the business. And that's when we started doubling the business, right? And then I was like, oh my gosh, we have so many clients and so many leads. Like I can't keep up with them. So I took a class on uh, showing specialists the showing specialist model. I remember it was Aaron Armstrong out of Tennessee. And back then, you were like a god of real estate if you could sell 100 homes. Mm -hmm. And so he was selling like 112 with a showing specialist. And I was like, how does this work? And I was all into it. It was like an eight-week class. And I took it and I learned how to do it. And I was like, this is great. So I don't even have to show the houses? And he's like, no. Like you hire somebody and you give them a percentage. And I was like, this is phenomenal. So uh, we hired somebody, actually my wife found him uh, and he turned out to be in our neighborhood. Great guy. And like a month after we hired him, he was like, yeah, I have these people who want to write. And I was like, oh my gosh, like really? <laughs> He's like, yeah. I was like, are you sure? And sure enough, they wrote. And I got paid 75% of the commission for clients that I met once at the buyer consultation, never saw again, never showed them any houses. And I was like, gosh, this is crazy. This is phenomenal. Let's do more of this. And so immediately, almost instantly, I gave him all of my buyer business and he ran with it. And I think he did 19 deals in his first 12 months and 24 deals in his first calendar year. And at his peak, he was doing like 36 deals. Um, So he was crushing it. And I wasn't seeing any of these houses. Like, this is awesome. Let's do more of this. So we brought somebody else on. And I think that year, the buy side team did like 60 deals. And I was like, oh my gosh. And you're still at this point not right. these clients. To and see I'm not houses. seeing any of these uh, places. And I think that year we sold like 106 houses. 
And I was like, this is awesome. I love this. Um, and so that's how we started adding the pieces. And, you know, since then we've tweaked. We failed here and there. We've learned from our mistakes sometimes. Sometimes we had to learn those lessons a couple of times. But it's a growing process. So now we've been consistently doing... I don't know, 85 to 100 deals a year. Uh, but our goal for next year is um, we haven't settled. We're going somewhere between 125 and 160, um, depending on how many bodies we can add. So, yeah. And how that, many um, How many agents do you have in your team? Right so now? right now we have. So we've finally lost a couple of agents after. Um, anywhere from five to eight years with the team um, because, uh, well, one of them had a baby, mm. right? Uh, and so she's off being a full-time mom. And the other one, you know, had been with us for seven years and it was time for him to spread his wings, right? Um, and so we never replaced them because I was always very finicky about who we brought onto the team. We have a great culture, a good community. We all love each other, uh, sometimes love to hate each other. And um, it's a great bond. So we want to be um, slow to hire, right? We want to make sure, as one of our assistants used to say, blood in, blood out, right? Like you're in it for life, right? right. Um, and so we never hired to replace them. Uh, but Leslie, who happens to be my sister, rolled in a couple of years ago and she goes, I think I'm going to join the family business. And I was like, you're going to work for Metro? Like, what's the family business? <laughs> and uh, she's like, I'm going to be uh, a realtor. And I was like, oh, Okay. So we had her interview with the team and surprisingly she made it through the interviews. Um, and she has grown and become our senior buyer agent. And so it's myself, I handle the listings. I'll probably do about 40 listings this year. She handles the buyers and she has a showing specialist um, who just started, I think, at the end of last year. And between the two of them, they'll do a combined uh, 50 units. Wow. So uh, I say we have two and a half realtors. Really, it's three, mm -hmm. um, and we'll do about 90 deals this year. Yeah, and she's mm -hmm. starting to do some of the things that you had done early mm -hmm. on and kind of leverage the, yep. the showing agent. Yep, That's she awesome. uses the showing specialist. So she had a baby January 28th, and uh, she put somebody under contract January 29th. Wow. So Leslie just continued to rock and roll, um, doing her thing. You know, she's also uh, um, Army Reserves, so she has that going on. So she has a lot going on, but... No, they're, they're rock stars. They're crushing it. So between the three of us, we're, we're doing pretty good. Yeah, good team. Goes mm -hmm. a long way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what neighborhoods do you all find yourself most frequently in? Any kind of specific area? Are you generally all over the place? Um, we don't like, I don't like to drive a lot, <laughs> but we do. I mean, uh, I'll be honest with you. I think we've done everything from Chesapeake Beach to um, Leesburg. Uh, and everything in between. Now, we don't regularly do that, but we do that because our clients need it or the right. referrals or something like that. Um, we don't typically go that far. Typically, we're in Montgomery County, Lower Montgomery County, Upper Northwest DC, Northwest Northeast DC. Um, but we do Northern Virginia as well. I mean, um, I think right now we, we have a condo in Reston, a single family home in Arlington, but we also have homes in Prince George's County, uh, in Silver Spring. But yeah, we do a lot of Silver Spring, um, Rockville, uh, Bethesda, Chevy Chase, DC. So yeah. Area. Mm -hmm. okay. And we were born and bred here. Right, so, so you know the area really well. We know the area. I mean, yeah. I was born in D.C. I was born in Georgetown. My sister was born at GW. Um, I went to DeMatha. She went to St. John's. I went to American University. She went to LaSalle. So, I mean, we really know this area mm -hmm. um, like the back of our hands. We've watched it grow and develop. Yeah, and that's mm -hmm. cool to be able to share the mm -hmm. story with yeah. your clients and stuff and be the able to help them. institutional knowledge, you know, yeah. The neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so a little bit of a fun question. Mm-hmm. What would you say the craziest thing that you've ever seen in a home is? Uh, you know, I'm really bad at these questions, but let me think. <laughs> I mean, I know we have a lot of good stories. I know um, one of our agents went to show a house um, in D.C. once at night, and there was a homeless guy that, like, jumped out the window mm. <laughs> when he showed up. Um, like a second-story window? or like Yeah, it was like a second-story window. Oh like, gosh. he jumped out, I think, onto the roof uh, okay. or of the lower level yeah. and... and like ran away. Now I didn't see that, but he told me that, and it was so vivid his story. I felt like I saw it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. But for me personally, um, I showed up one day. Um, it, I didn't see this, but it happened to me. Um, we had a client, a Portuguese client, and um, I could barely understand what he ever said. He didn't have email. We had to do everything through fax. Uh, this is a couple years ago, and uh, it wasn't his fax machine. It was his neighbor's fax machine who owned a travel agency and this is in portugal right and so i sold this house in bethesda downtown bethesda and um it was a rough transaction it was really rough and he brought a guy over from portugal to help him move and i was like oh that's really nice of you and i got there and i met him and it was like july or august it was like 130 degrees plus humidity and this poor guy he's just imagine this big mobster looking guy who was sweating profusely and he wasn't breathing well he's like (gasps) and I was like I can't remember the seller's name but I was like is is your friend okay he's like oh yeah yeah, yeah. he's a big guy he's an old guy he's good he's a strong powerful man I was like okay I'm like this is the guy you brought to help you move yeah uh he's like yeah 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 just we'll give him some ginger ale and he'll be fine and I see him or like Sprite or something and he's like drinking from a straw he's like I was like okay it was just all kinds of weird I had a bad feeling about it Settlement was the next day. I was like, okay, we should be done with this soon anyway. So at about 8 o'clock the next day, I'm getting ready. I'm like, ooh, it's settlement day. This is nice. Um, And I get a call. And I was like, I can't remember his name. Let's just call him Sergio. I'm like, Sergio, what's going on? He's like, hey, uh, you said to call you with anything, right? I'm like, yeah, of course. What's up? He's like, well, my friend, he passed away. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Sergio, I'm so sorry. Like, are you okay? Is there anything that I can do? He's like, he's like, uh, you know, thank you, thank you. I'm like, what did the, what did the ambulance say? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, he died, right? Like he said, you died in the house while you were moving. He's like, yeah. I was like, well, what did the doctor say? Like, what did the ambulance say when he showed up? And he's like, there's no ambulance. I'm like, did you not call nine one one? He's like, no, you you said to call you if anything comes up. Oh my <laughs> so gosh! He, he called me. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, call an ambulance. <laughs> call nine one one. I was like, oh my gosh! I was like, I'll be right over. And so uh, he called nine one one, and I rushed over there, and I showed up, and I'm like, the cop. There's a policeman there, and he goes like, who are you? I was like, uh, he's like, are you family? I'm like, no, I'm minor. I'm the realtor. <laughs> he's like, well. Uh-huh. What are you doing here? I was like, well, he clearly I'm the realtor. I should be here. He's, yeah. he's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. He called me. Like I said, I would come over. I'm like, look, that's my face on the sign. Like I'm the guy that's selling the house. Like then he comes out. He's like, oh no, that's my friend, the realtor. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm so sorry, Sergio. Like I'm glad, you know, you got the ambulance here and, and all that. Like, is there anything I can do for you? He's like, no. He's like, do you think we can still settle today? <laughs> and I was like, um, uh, okay, if that's what you want to do, heck yeah, we can settle. Yeah. This is a $900,000 house. We're settling today if you want to. I and mean, with all due respect, 
right? Right, like, right. No, it's, a couple hoops to jump through, but we're, we can get I was it done. Like, but you remember how hard it was to deal with this uh, buyer? You haven't quite finished cleaning up here. Like, we need to clean this place up. We got to get this body out of here because the buyer's like, what do you call one of those neat freaks, uh, germaphobes? Yeah. I was like, there's a dead body here. Like, we got to get that body out, right? And so I started cleaning and all this craziness. And then the coroner got the body, left, made a right out of the house. And coming from the left side was the buyer Buyers, for the walkthrough. Final walkthrough. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so we didn't have to disclose that somebody died there. It's not something you have to. And um, there, the buyer goes, this place is a mess. And da-da-da-da-da. Look, it's like you haven't even swept. And I was like, huh. If that's your biggest complaint, I'll take that. <laughs> like, I'll sweep. I'll sweep. I was like, but you, you don't smell anything. <laughs> you don't smell anything oh at all, right? Goodness. Like the scent of death or anything like that. And she bitched and moaned and she wouldn't even go in the house because they were. And so me and the other realtor just kind of cleaned the place up and uh, we settled. He got his check or wire, got on a plane, flew to Portugal, and that was it. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Wow. So be so, a little bit more careful when you say you can call me for anything. Call me for anything. <laughs> call yeah. me for anything. Truly. Yes. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so switching gears a little bit to a little bit more about the, the process. If I'm buying a home, yes. what would you say the most important thing that I need to know would be? Uh, the most important thing you have to do first is to get pre-qualified. Because what happens is um, you don't go car shopping for Lamborghinis if you're on a Honda Civic budget, right? Mm -hmm. And so people have a good sense of what price point they want to buy for a car. Yet for houses, they're like, I just want to go look at houses. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get our ducks in an order first. You know, I understand that you think you can afford this and maybe you can, or maybe you can afford something more uh, or your purchasing power is bigger than you thought. You know, the payments are lower than maybe what you thought. And you can get your absolute dream house instead of settling for something that's not. And so I would say get pre-approved first. Have an understanding of the finances, right? Mm -hmm. Because when I started um, back, the reason my first deal fell apart is because that woman used her own lender and the lender snuck in some extra fees at the end that was going to cost a couple of thousand dollars. She couldn't afford it. Yes, she couldn't afford it. And um, this was back before they had any kind of these protocols where you couldn't do stuff like this. This is exactly why they did this. Mm -hmm. They would sneak in charges at the last minute knowing that you were screwed. And so, um, yeah, you have to get pre-approved first so that you know the finances in and out. You want to know what your monthly payment is going to look like mm -hmm. and make sure that you feel comfortable with it. So I would say more than anything, get a handle on your finances first. That should be the first thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, how about on the flip side, if I'm selling my home, uh, what would be the most important thing that I need to do to prepare the house? Before um, you need to have an exit plan first, right? You need to know where you're going to go after that mm -hmm. because we're going to sell your house in the first weekend and we need to have some place for you to go, right? right. So um, I would have a sense of where you're going to go and guess what else I'm going to say? Have a handle on the finances mm -hmm. because if you think you have a million dollar house but it's only nine hundred thousand well that's going to have a very real impact on where you're going to go right or what you can do so you need to have a sense of the finances what am i going to walk away with conservatively so that you can plan accordingly for your next step then from there then we can start talking about what you're going to do with the house because if the numbers don't work for you then why are you going to do anything right but if the numbers do work for you then we'll start looking at the house we'll look at the kitchens and bathrooms right because that's the most important thing then we'll look at you know the painting and the floors and all that kind of stuff but yeah those are the things that you want to um, have an understanding for the finances and know where you're going to go yeah mm -hmm. have you ran into situations where yes. people every situation it's like, and like <laughs> oh crap i don't know where i'm going now <laughs> yes no in fact it literally just happened wow. i had to convince my seller 
to do a rent back. I'm like, look, we're going to sell your house. I know you want to move to South Carolina, but you have to buy a house in South Carolina. Like you don't have a house. He's like, no, 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 no. I can find one. I'm like, I don't think you understand how quickly homes are going. Like you need to be able to see yourself in a couple of different houses because when we sell your house, if there's only one house that you like, that house may not be available. You need to see a handful of places that you can see yourself in. So once you um, get a sense of where you're going, let's see what the numbers look like, what you can afford and so forth, what your purchasing power is. Um, I try not to say what you can afford. Um, and let's see what your purchasing power is and what we can do. And um, so, of course, we got them an offer first week and second weekend, actually. And um, I was like, you need a 30-day rent back. That way you have 30 days to find a house and 30 days to settle, right? And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to pay for that. I, I don't want to pay for rent back. I'm like, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can't pay an extra two grand, right? You're not even paying it. It's taken out of your proceeds. Like, so that you have the time, like, you need this. So I pushed him hard on it. And he's like, fine, I'll take the rent back. Um, and he lost out on the first three houses he put bids on. So luckily he had the rent back. Luckily he had the rent back. And then there was a delay in the settlement, so which he desperately needed because he still hadn't found a house yet. Mm. And so finally he found a house, I think, the day after settlement. And even then, it's not finished yet, right? Even then, but had he not had that rent back, he would have been out on the streets. Yeah. Or he would have had to move into a short-term rental, and that he would have paid for. Right, and that's more uh, expensive even. Right, yeah. or a long-term rental, which would have been worse. And who wants to move more than once? Right, so, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good, good advice there. Um, talk to me a little bit about what the current market is like, and how would I know when the best time to buy or sell would be the current market is crazy <laughs> and that's regardless if you're a buyer or a seller it's just crazy um, so I don't know what the exact numbers are right now but uh, I believe inventory is down by about 30% depending on the area mm-hmm. right and so what happens is the DMV is a highly sought-after area by and large right for the most part and so the inventory has always been tight around here there's never been enough houses for the amount of buyers that we have so when you take away 30% of the inventory or whatever that number is well, the buyer demand is still there because a lot of people that were impacted were not your typical uh, homeowners or home buyers, right? Um, it was um, uh, the demographic for the people that were affected were not yet the home buying people yet, mm-hmm. right? And so those people still had the ferocious demand for houses, but now there were less houses. So as soon as the pandemic hit and people were taking their houses off the market or not going on the market, well, people were working from home and very much like snow days, People weren't necessarily working full days. They were playing on the internet. And guess what they were doing? Looking for houses. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Every time there's a snow day, people call us. Hey, I don't have to go to work. Can we go look at houses? I'm like, no, it's like three feet of snow <laughs> outside, right? Um, and so people were looking for houses. And so they were snatching up the very little houses that they had. Um, and it was crazy. They were going for a lot for high, high prices. Then we added steroids to the marketplace by lowering the interest rates. And then it was like, oh my gosh, I can't afford not to buy, right? And if you're going to buy, buy two houses. And I say this because I'm buying a house myself and so is my sister. My parents bought during the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm, we follow the advice that we give. So um, the market is nuts, right? It's hard for buyers because they're finding themselves in multiple bid situations. Then it can be uncomfortable to go above list price um, when they really shouldn't even look at list price. It should look at the value and so forth um, and go from there. But it's hard. Sometimes you have to write many times, right? You have to change your criteria and so forth. For sellers, it's great. But you have to understand that if you need to buy a home, well, 
you're in the same situation yeah, as everybody else. You have to have an exit plan to know where to go. Gotta have an exit plan, right? So, um, yeah, for sellers, just be ready to sell quickly uh, and to make more than you anticipated, which is always hard for sellers to accept, right? You're gonna have to take more money than you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and what was the second half? What is my thinking for next year? Yeah, what, what, that actually, I didn't ask that question. Oh, but, but that what is was the next question? What was the second half? There were two um, questions. I was just asking, you know, as a as a buyer or a seller, how would I know when the best oh, time? Oh no, to and that's a great question. Me. I really want to answer that. Um, do you know when the best time is to buy or sell? I'm guessing you. You're the professional. The best time is when you're ready. Mm. That's that's really, really the best time. And, um, you know, that's not me, like, being cliche or anything like that. I don't want to be, like, an Instagram quote. But the best time truly is when you're ready. Um, because the spring is the busiest time of year, April and May. By far, it's the highest number of, of, of sales during that time of year. There's more options, but there's more competition. Mm-hmm. Second busiest time of year is September and October, the fall. Okay, you could do that as well. I will tell you, though, for the last couple of years, at least three of the last four, for us, our busiest month of the year has been December, right? And there's a whole theory behind that. I think realtors just stop working. And, so and, continue. and we yeah. continue to work. We continue to show up and work and treat it like a business. And all the people that weren't able to sell during the fall season are now able to sell because there's less competition and their ugly house looks more attractive when there's not much around. The buyers are still strongly dedicated because you don't want to be looking during Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah. Um, you're only out if you're very serious. And so we find a lot of business during that time because realtors just aren't fishing anymore. Right. Um, but the best time is when you're ready and then you make the best of the situation. You don't want to force it if you're not ready. It's like getting married before you're ready just because all your friends are getting married. Then you just get married. Yes, <laughs> you don't want to do it because all your friends, you want to do it when you're ready. Yeah. Right? It took you, eight years. So yeah, there I, you I go. Think we <laughs> he finally said yes. He finally said yes. <laughs> so, um, so no, you got to do it when it's best for you. It's like having a child, right? Um, except you can't put the child up for adoption. Like you're stuck with a 30-year <laughs> mortgage, right? So um, no, it's really, truly, I tell people, look, yes, this is a great time for you to sell your house because you're going to sell for a lot. But if you're not ready, it's not the time for you. It's not the time for you, right? You can't time the market at its highest or its lowest. If we could, we would all be billionaires. Mm -hmm. We can't. You just make the best of that situation and you live with it, right? Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Um, So going on to the next question would be is what are your predictions for the 2021 market? Uh, Continued craziness. Um, I honestly do not know what's going to happen next year. And anyone that can tell you that they do know is they're crazy. Nobody. Our nation's leading economists don't know year to year what's going to happen. My professional opinion or my professional guess would be from what I've heard, even though we've been saying for years that interest rates cannot stay this low, not only have they stayed this low and made us look like liars, they've actually gone down, mm-hmm. right? They've gone down. Like we were like, oh my gosh, 4%. And then they got to 3%. Um, I mean, the feds are loaning money at like 0%, right? They can't go any lower unless they're paying to give you money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm buying a home right now, another home, and my interest rate is 2.625. I mean, it's crazy low. Um, So all signs are that the interest rates will not be touched um, for the foreseeable future. What I think will happen is very much like people are having, um, um, what is it when you get tired of something like uh, the pandemic? Um, They're just tired of putting up with all this stuff. I think what will happen is um, 
people would just get used to the low interest rates and they'll just feel like it's normal. Mm -hmm. It's not anything special, mm -hmm. right? They're just like, oh no, that's what interest rates are, right? The, the allure of capitalizing on a historically low interest rate will, it won't be as big of a deal because it's been around for so long. Mm -hmm. Fatigue, that's what I'm looking at. They get like interest rate fatigue. Um, it won't be special, it won't be a driving force anymore. And I think what will happen is as we get on the other side of COVID, hopefully, um, I think people will get more comfortable with putting their houses on the market. I don't think that's going to happen this winter at all. I think the opposite is going to happen this winter. I think this winter is going to be brutal, and I've been worried about this brutal since last uh, this winter since last March, because I knew during the summer things are going to get warmer. It's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be like, hey, it's sunny outside. The world is awesome. But as it gets colder, as you see today, it's a cold, wet day. Right, people start. The flu season starts. There might be a second wave, another shutdown. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but I think this winter is going to be a little brutal for us. Um, so I hope everybody is storing their nuts um, because I think it's going to be a tough winter. I don't think a lot of homes are going to come up on the market at all, um, and uh, I think it's going to be tight inventory for the foreseeable future as it gets warmer. And you know, who knows what's going to happen with uh, these pharmaceutical companies are coming up with vaccines and so forth. But once we start turning that corner and it gets warmer, then I think the optimism may return. I think the spring market will be good because there'll be a lot of pent up demand, continued low interest rates. And I think more people will put their houses up on the market then. So I think it's gonna be an extremely crazy, mm -hmm. at least beginning. What will ultimately happen? Who knows? And so this is what I tell people. Don't make a decision based on what you think will happen because we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, who could have predicted COVID was going to happen? And when it did, we thought the world was ending. Um, not just the rest of the world, but the real estate world. Like I thought, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> my it. business is going to collapse. No one's going to want to buy and sell a house. And it was the opposite. We cut expenses by 30%, both personally and professionally. We were like, oh my gosh, we're, we need to live, like survive. How are we going to do this? No one's going to want to buy and sell a house. We're selling a lot of houses, right? Like we couldn't have predicted that. So there's no way we can predict what's going to happen um, next year. And so we tell people, don't plan on what could happen or you think is going to happen. Plan based on what you know is happening right now, mm -hmm. right? If this is a good time for you, then buy or sell. If you don't think it's a good time for you, then don't buy or sell. But don't do it in anticipation of what may or may not happen next year. Right. Because we don't know. We could have COVID-20 by then. Yeah. Right? Who knows, right? Yeah. The stronger sequel. Who knows, uh -oh. right? Don't say that. <laughs> So yeah, I like that though. It's kind of just going back to is what works for you because the market is really unpredictable, especially mm -hmm. right now. Yep. Um, so with all these moving pieces in real estate, what would you say your favorite thing about the industry is? Do you have a preference working with buyers and sell or sellers or just something kind of overall that is why you're here doing what you're doing? Um, so I'll be honest with you. me. I don't think anybody ever grows up that says, I want to be a realtor, right? Nobody... I didn't grow up that, saying that, right? Mm -hmm. I think I said I want to be a doctor and a part-time lawyer or a lawyer and a part-time doctor, right? Mm -hmm. And somehow I became a PR guy. Like nobody grows up, not many people grow up, they want to do real estate. And for me, I like the people portion of it. Um, I don't, I enjoy having somebody else show the houses. I think that's mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, doing that is the greatest thing ever, right? So um, I've been focusing on listings, I guess, for the last eight years. 
Um, and I enjoy, I enjoy working with the, the sellers. I mean, that's, that's great. Um, but what I enjoy more is actually helping grow the business, helping the realtors grow their business, right? Like I'm good. I actually don't even need a team and I would be perfectly content with my life and my production and all that stuff. Um, but I want to build something that will run itself, that I can step in and out of as needed. And I can provide a venue whereby the people who work on that team can achieve their lifelong dreams and ambitions and goals and so forth, right? Um, I love the fact that um, Leslie owns her primary home, an investment home, and now a beach home. I love the fact that Jamoke, who's our ops manager, owns a home, right? Mm -hmm. I, and that she's eyeing an investment property. I love that people are uh, leveraging the situation that they're in to grow their own personal wealth. I mean, for me, that's awesome. That's yeah. spectacular. It's, a, it's our way of giving back to our people. So I really enjoy that. And I love when people are like, oh my gosh, I'm 72 years old. I'm from Ethiopia. And this is the first property anyone in my family has ever owned. Mm. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Like, when you pay this off, you'll be 102. No, it's crazy <laughs> that, that that someone gave you a loan for that. Um, it's crazy that he's 72 years old, an immigrant, right, American dream, and he has home ownership, mm -hmm. and now he has something he can pass down to his daughter. Like, that's a big deal, right? Or, um, you know, these kids that are like, I'm the first one to go to college, mm -hmm. and now I own something. Like, I didn't even grow up owning something. This is like a big deal. Um, or just the growing family going, hey, I can't believe, you know, we bought our first condo with you, and now we're having a single-family house because we have kids. Or, you know, the people that are like, I've lived here for 30 years, and now I'm done. I enjoy being part of those special moments with people because the house purchase or house sale generally is a big emotional moment for these people right they're getting promoted they're retiring they're downsizing right they're having kids their kids are gone right these are seminal moments in their lives and we're a part of that and for most people it's the biggest financial investment of their lives and we're a part of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool it's a lot of trust they put in us and we don't take that trust lately right absolutely i can i can feel your passion and even yeah. just your story of, mm -hmm. of what you're doing with your team mm -hmm. and for your clients yeah, yeah. I love that. um so let's talk about a really challenging time for you and how you overcame that. And this could be professionally or even personally for you. Um, well, now is a challenging time. <laughs> no, really, no doubt. This year is yeah. a challenging time, but um, let's go a little farther back. So you remember I told you that my wife was a stay-at-home. We had three kids. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, three condos, which were like kids. Mm -hmm. um, one kid. And one Baby. kid, right. Mm -hmm. One kid, two parakeets. Uh, and so... <laughs> We were living in Whitehall in downtown Bethesda in our condo. And um, I remember it was May, and I think it was my first or second year in the business. And I was like, I don't have any deals. Like, I don't have any deals like coming. I don't know where the next paycheck is coming. Like, and like six weeks went by, and I was working, working, working. And I don't stress, but clearly it was getting to me. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like there's nothing is happening. Like no one's buying, no one's selling. I don't, I don't know what's wrong. And um, my wife goes, let's take Memorial Day weekend off. Let's hang out at the pool. Let's just not even think about real estate. Things will work out. And so I was like, okay, let's just do that. And so Saturday morning, we were at the pool and my phone rang. And um, I remember the couple. Uh, it was Linda Chen and Aaron Epstein. 
They're like, Miner, we found the house. We want to buy this house. And it was like a $600,000 house. And I was like, really? Well, let's go write an offer right now. Like, like I lived in downtown with this. I worked in downtown with this. I walked over to the office. We wrote an offer. And I was like, woo, this is awesome. And we went under contract. And that weekend, I put four houses under contract. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was crazy. Like, thank God, you know, that worked out for us because I was really freaked out. And I realized the lesson there was that I got so busy managing my clients, I didn't do any legion. I was doing zero legion. I was just busy with the work. And I was like, I will never let that happen again. That was awful. Um, and I let that happen one more time a couple years later. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so stupid. I, but then when it was happening, I knew exactly what the problem was. And I was like, I'm just going to lead gen hard now. But you don't just lead gen and it happens that night or the next week. Like it takes weeks, if not months. So it happened to me one more time. It was a smaller period, but I knew what the solution was right away. And I've never let that happen again, mm -hmm. ever. Um, because... I didn't want that fear in my life, right? I didn't want that fear in my or that that stress. And so now when the pandemic hit, what did we do? We didn't do we didn't do what most people did and just hung out and watched all of Netflix. We actually doubled down on our lead generation. And so we increased our lead generation and we crushed it. We crushed it and continue to do so. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, all, all things in this business can be solved by lead generation. Mm -hmm. Kind of touching back on your first uh, situation, would you say that some of that could have been you just taking some time off for yourself as well? That maybe makes things start happening? Yes. You um, have to take time yes. For so I told my wife, hey, when I start this business, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm going to work my ass off for like two years and work my butt off. And it's really going to pay off. And then, then we can settle in. So it took like seven years of <laughs> doing that. But it became, and it, Ina doesn't remember this, but. She used to make plans all the times on the weekends without me because I was always out showing houses, like right. always, always, always. And um, I have this picture of me and my son. I'm like sitting on the bed. I remember I had this white hoodie that was lifeguard Ocean City and I had these red flannel pajamas. Now I'm sitting there and the baby's like right next to me on this giant pillow and I have my laptop very much like that one. Mm -hmm. I was just sitting there working and it's like the quintessential picture. The baby's just sitting just next sitting to you. sitting there and I'm sitting there working, right? And, and it's not really something to brag about, but um, she was like making plans without me all the time, right? And um, once I started having leverage and hiring people, I started being home. I, once I stopped showing houses in 2012, oh my gosh, like I was home every weekend. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I'm here. What do I do? <laughs> let's do stuff, right? Like, and she's like, I already made plans. I'm like, but why would you make plans? Like I'm here, like let's do stuff, right? Um, and I don't think she realized how much I stopped working, right? And when I hired an admin and I didn't have to do all that paperwork and I didn't have to work at night, like I was able to schedule my day. I'd go in at nine, I'd leave at six, right? Like it was, I was able to leave work and I was, the greatest day for me was the day that iPhone allowed you to forward voicemails. Hmm. Like, I remember that day vividly. Because up till then, I had been forwarding mess emails and all that, and it was easy. But when I could forward, I was like, what is this button? I was like, oh my gosh, my I can forward a voicemail. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And I started forwarding voicemails. I was like, I never have to call anybody again. Like, I never have to do paperwork again. I started getting my life back. Um, and it was just a huge change. So, yeah, having that downtime to decompress and... 
I never realized this, even at my busiest, we were still vacationing like six weeks a year. Because mm -hmm. uh, we would go to Norway uh, once or twice a year, right? We would go to the beach because we had a beach place, right? Like we were legit vacationing a lot. So I worked a lot, but I also played a lot. And I did a lot of things. I never missed any of my kids' activities. Um, I was I was a PTA, like room dad, and my kids' preschool. It was like a co-op. Like I had to work twice a month, like in the co-op nursery school. Like I was way involved. My second kid, I didn't really do as much, but <laughs> but uh, the uh, no, I mean I worked a lot, but yeah, having that downtime to decompress and just mm -hmm. the best thing would be because my wife is Norwegian, we would go to Norway, and Wi-Fi wasn't a thing. It wasn't. Remember, Wi-Fi has not always been a thing. So unless I was hardwired, I couldn't check emails. I, so you and I had was, to turn it off. <laughs> I had no choice, yeah. right? Like for hours and days at a time, or we would go to our cabin. There was not even cell phone reception. So I would just be checked out for a day. It was a forced vacation. Mm -hmm. And I remember she had like a little mall across the street and the Burger King for some reason had Wi-Fi. And uh, so I would walk over to the Burger King and sit outside and like check emails, right? Um, but other than that, I was just completely unplugged and it was the greatest thing. Then slowly as the technology progressed, I was like, oh, I found myself on the beach with an iPad. And I was like, hey, thank I remember a post I put on Facebook. I was like, thank you, Steve Jobs, for making this possible because it was like a Wednesday and I was working from the beach. And then I was like, curse you, Steve Jobs, for making this possible because yeah. was, I was at the beach and I was working. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, but you have to have that downtime. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I think I'm able to manage it, sort of. I don't know. It depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's smart, too, is setting up your team, though, to, to be able to leverage them so that you can step away yes. uh, if you need to. Yes. The question is, are you willing to? Right. Because we as realtors tend to overvalue our importance to most things. We're like, oh, my gosh, my clients only work, want to work with me. That's not true because if you were not a realtor, they would work with somebody else, Right. And if you're on vacation, I guarantee you they would find somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they don't only want to work with you. They want to work with the service that you represent. So if you can replicate that, I have no problem handing. I remember the first million dollar deal I handed off. And uh, I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, for my agent, Jim, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's like three months in the business. And this is like a $1.3 million deal. And I was like, well, he's got to learn one way. And so we gave it to him. And when they ratified, I was like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> like he knows what he's doing. And I realized, you know what? People may not do it as well as I do, but they can still do it, yeah. right? Um, you know, uh, it's, it's just one of those things that we can set the buyer extremely high, high and it doesn't need to be that high, right? Um, you know, I'm not saying to have low standards or anything by that much, but you can leverage and train your people so that they give good service, good solid service, and you're always there to help. So leveraging is is critical if you want to sustain a business long term. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the next question is, and I, I feel like we've already talked about a lot of these mm -hmm. achievements, but what would you say your biggest life achievement um, is something that you're really proud of or passionate about? Uh, I'm not good at these like best and favorites. Um, so a lot of people when they ask them, well, what's your motivation? And they're like, oh, my family, I want to provide for my family. You know, that's not me. And actually, I don't think it's most people. Or maybe, I don't know. I mean, I can only speak for myself. And at this age, I've, I have a certain comfort level with myself. I've never feared for my family. I've never been a worst case scenario for my family. 
my parents came to this country with nothing, not speaking the language, right? And, they, and they've done well. They've done better than most people, right? And most people that were born and raised here, right? So they've maximized their opportunities. So I grew up with nothing. I don't fear having nothing. Having stuff is great and it's awesome, but I don't need it. It doesn't define me. It doesn't have an impact um, on my long-term happiness. Yes, it makes me happy. I love having a nice house and homes to visit and all that stuff. But if I didn't have family or friends to share it with, what's the point, mm -hmm. right? What's the point? Uh, I don't even like watching movies without my wife because I don't have anybody to share it with. Like, who am I going to talk to about it? Like, <laughs> right. you know, if I watch a movie and nobody's with me, did I really watch it, right? <laughs> like, uh, and for me, all of that stuff is just, it's cool and it's fun, but it, it's not necessary. So um, it doesn't drive me. I like achieving for the sake of, I'm very competitive. So my goal was to be number one in my office. I achieved that and I was like, well, this is really sort of a shallow victory. Uh, then I realized, oh my gosh, if I open it up to Keller Williams Capital Properties, I'm barely a blip. I'm barely top 10 because we have some very strong agents there. And when you open it up to our whole company, you're like, oh my gosh, like people don't even, I'm a hot shot in like my three square mile radius, <laughs> right? But outside of that, nobody knows me. Um, but um, I have a lot of things that I have done coming from immigrants from a developing nation in Guatemala to where we are now. I have a lot that I'm, a pro I'm very proud of. Um, you know, I was a national prep wrestling champion. Um, when I was in high school in a sport that I had never heard of before high school, right? Um, I carried the Olympic torch, right? Which was a very cool thing. In fact, it's sitting somewhere. Um, you know, I have this Olympic torch that I carried uh, as a community hero back in 96. I graduated college. That was a big deal. I bought a home when I was 24. That was a big deal. I bought a beach home. I bought another one, right? Like we have multiple properties. Like I've been to over 35 countries. Like that's a big deal for me. I've jumped off of a 60 meter cliff naked in Greece, right? Like okay. <laughs> I've had adventures, right? Like I've gone skydiving, I've gone scuba diving, like I've lived life, like I've lived along the way, like I've rollerbladed through Europe, I backpacked through Europe with, you know, like my best friend and I've done like a lot of cool things and I've, I've never said, hey, this is an achievement, it's an experience, right? And I... I was always big on photo albums when they were a thing because I like to see the memories. Like, look at all the fun. Look at what we, we've lived, right? Mm -hmm. We've lived. And now my kids have, you know, obviously having kids is is a big, big deal, right? Especially when you have boys. Just kidding. Not really. <laughs> um, because you're, you're boys. You're like, oh, my gosh. You're like mini-me's. They're not, but they are, <laughs> right? Sort of. And so to see them grow up with a mentality that took me decades to achieve is huge. It's huge right um they they know a lot of life secrets that many people don't know right like uh what's that book how to win friends and influence people like they know those things they know the bold laws right like they know they have this incredible mindset um where they know they have to get down their out of their comfort zone for growth i mean i'm very proud of those things i'm very proud of you know, the family life that we've created. My parents live in my neighborhood. I can walk to their house. My sister and her family live in the neighborhood. I can walk to their their house, right? I'm a partner in this office that, you know, I had no idea what was going to happen. You know, I run this team. Those are all big deals for me. You know, I started the Bethesda Chevy Chase Youth Wrestling Club. We have almost 100 kids. That's a big deal for me. Um, you know, the fact that I've been to all of my kids' games and, like, I haven't missed much of anything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those are all big deals. Um, so I don't know that I have 
one big one. I like, that's hard, a hard list to choose from. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I get equally excited about so many things, right? Like so many things. Like, uh, you know, even when we were doing celebrity events when I was in my 20s with PR and I remember I did an event with Ricky Martin when he was at his peak. Like, that was a big deal, right? But, you know, it was a big deal at the time, right? You know, and now it's a big deal that, oh, my gosh, like my son scored a goal in his, you know, 11U team, right? And they won. <laughs> like, these are all big, like, I feel a lot. Like, I feel, I get excited about anything and everything. So to choose one thing, you know, like we're buying this house in Chestertown, like on the river. Like we have a dock, we have a little private beach, right? Like it's a huge, for me, that's a huge deal. I can send my parents there to hang out and there's like a little historic town. Like these are all big deals. And I think part of the reason is the perspective that I have as a child of immigrants um, and looking back to my peers, my cousins who are back in Guatemala, same age, I'm not any smarter than they are. Um, and I definitely don't have, uh, they don't, I don't have more drive than they do. It's just that I was born here and they were born there. And the difference is I had the opportunities that they didn't have, right? Um, put the, the racial biases aside of being in this country right now, but my cousins, uh, some of them sleep three generations in one bed and they're not the only bed in that room. And it's not because they're, they don't have smart or lack ambition, they lack opportunities. And so I had the opportunity being here. And so I feel it's my moral obligation to succeed um, because I was giving an unfair opportunity that they weren't. So if I don't succeed, I feel, uh, we say in Spanish, it's pecado, it's a sin, right? Because how dare you not succeed when your parents gave up on their family and their country to come here so that you could have a better life. So I think it's my moral obligation, not only to succeed, but then to give back and help. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I'm sure that motivates you and why you love giving others opportunities like your team. Yeah, no, I carry a lot of guilt too uh, with that, right? Uh, also the Catholic guilt, all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> so yeah, someone's always watching. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, tell me something that most people don't know about you. Any I think everybody knows. You seem like a pretty open book. I'm a book. pretty open book. Um, what is it that people don't know about me? Um you're right. I am a pretty open book. Um, I, um, ooh, you got me on the spot. This That's one. Okay. Let's see. I mean, if I had to say, oh, okay. So I think that I can be good at anything if I try, or you know, be mediocre at, at best. But I'm a terrible singer. <laughs> no, I feel no, like no, that's no, something that's no, hard no. to like learn. No, 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 no. like you I'm have a, it or you don't. So like karaoke, right? Like I love standing on stage with a mic. I'm really good. I was a DJ and I would DJ in front of thousands of people and get the party going and I can talk at a moment's notice and blah 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 and all that. But put a karaoke song on and give me a mic, like my ears Frozen. start to burn. <laughs> like my heart starts suddenly I'm aware of my heart and my breathing. And I'm just like a terrible singer. And it's not because I don't try. Like, you know how you can be bad and it's funny? Well, I'm bad and it's not funny because I'm clearly trying. And it's just like <laughs> awkward. And so, and people just assume that I would be a natural at it. And I'm not, like not at all. And in, in my house, we have a big division, you know. Um, I think what's more important is the music. 
and the other half of my family thinks the lyrics. That's like nobody knows the lyrics. You just kind of make up the lyrics when you're you're just grooving. It's an emotion. Like music makes you feel. No one cares about the lyrics. I don't even know what these songs are about. <laughs> and so when I start singing, I suddenly become aware of what I'm singing about. And like, does that even rhyme? Does it it's make sense? And, <laughs> and I'm like, this is awful. And I'm sitting there and people are not, they're like, should we laugh? Should we <laughs> encourage him? <laughs> right? It's just really bad and really awkward. Um, so yes, I think that's probably something most people don't know about me. And when we're in those situations, I kind of go to the back and people pull me. They're like, get Minor up there. They're like, Minor would be awesome. I'm like, no, I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're going to start picking at you yes. now when you just sing. <laughs> um, oh, and most people don't know that I'm short. <laughs> no, I guess if you only see you on like Facebook, no, 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 baby, it's really or... funny. It's really funny. So I will tell you this story. When I used to DJ, and sometimes I would be up in in the DJ booth, so you're on like a little like stand. I'd be like stuff. you know five, yeah. ten feet in the air, and so um, this was back when I was single, and you know a lot of women used to hit on me back then. <laughs> But many of them didn't know that I was short. And so I'd have these giant women, six feet tall with heels. And I'm like, come dance with me. I'm like, no, because I don't want to ruin the dream. Right? Like, I'm five feet tall. Right? Like, I, don't, I want you to have this image of this cool DJ that you met if I come down to ruin it for you. But no, no I get uh, like people, I think what happens is I have a big personality and people don't realize how short I am. And they see us in pictures and they're like, wow, you really are. I'm like, yeah, you've known me for five years. Like, I've always been this yeah. height, right? Like, I've always, always, but I think they, in their mind, maybe I'm taller than I am. Mm. And sometimes they just blurt it out. And I'm like, you're just noticing this now and you felt the need to say it, right? <laughs> or another funny thing is people are like, did you just get that earring? Like, are you having a midlife crisis? Because it's like me, it's small and understated, yeah. right? But I got it when I was 16 and people are thinking that I've had, they, people think it's a brand new thing. Like so that. I funny remember. that I don't know that I've ever noticed your earring. Until you Most people don't, that. right? It's So there, there you go. There's like there three go. things Some that people don't know facts. about me. <laughs> okay. Um, are you currently reading any books or listening to any podcasts or how do you generally like to gain new knowledge? Uh, Facebook, like everybody else. Okay. No, just kidding. <laughs> start using that uh, time limit on your phone. <laughs> the, uh, no, okay. Um, so I'm a ferocious reader of the newspaper. Um, you may not have seen it, but I actually get it delivered every day. Say, do they still deliver I'm it? I'm the <laughs> only person. There was a time where you could see all the houses. You might remember that. And they, you, every house had a newspaper. I'm the only one that still gets it delivered. I'm old school. In fact, during the pandemic, I was making my kids read an article like every day, uh, two articles for the older one. And they couldn't get the hand of folding it and bending it without having it fall all over the place. <laughs> I was like, no, there's a skill. Like you open it and you whip it and then you turn it. And you. And so, um, no, I'm a ferocious reader of the newspaper. At the very least, the front page, um, not the full articles, but at least the headline, uh, the, the leads and so forth. Um, so I'm a big, big reader of the newspaper every, every day. Um, I'm actually in between books right now. I have two on my nightstand. Um, one is Grit. Um, it's not as easy to read as I thought. It didn't flow as well as I thought it would. It's, there's good content. Um, uh, so I'm reading Grit right now. And uh, there's a couple of books that are on the horizon. I just have to get my way through Grit first. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's a good book. Um, so uh, what was the, oh, what do I like to get information? Um, so I'm very big on following because I was a public relations student, we actually used to have current events quizzes all the time in college. And so I was forced by nature to start reading the newspaper when I was in college. And it's a skill that I never gave up. And I make sure that my kids are well-versed, at least superficially, in a variety of topics. Because 
part of succeeding in this world is not necessarily being the best, but having relationships that put you in a position where you can exhibit a minimal amount of skills to succeed in any given position, right? And so one of the beauties and the curses that I've had is that I've gotten jobs that I've not been qualified for just about every time I've, I've interviewed for a job. And it's because I interviewed very well because I was able to relate for, with people and it actually has helped tremendously in real estate. Mm -hmm. So um, I always tell my people, find a way to connect with people, right? I don't care if they're seven year olds from South Dakota, there's something that you have in common. Like, oh, where are you from? What do you do? You know, where do you live now? Uh, you know, what's your family like? Da, da, da. And then you just dig, dig, dig. What TV shows do you like? And if you can't find anything, you're like, so, like, do you breathe air? Right? Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> I breathe air. That's so cool, right? And once you have that connection, it's hard to get blown off, right? Mm -hmm. Once you have somebody like you. And so, um, you know, my kids, um, you know, they, they, can talk about the election, right? My, my 11 year old can talk about the election. Um, he can talk about the candidates, not all of them, right? And not in a very deep level, but enough to have a meaningful conversation. My older son, he uh, at times with, was an assistant coach with me in wrestling. And he, I remember he was maybe sixth, seventh grade and he would talk to the other coaches and be like, hey coach, uh, this is not a good matchup. Our kid is not good enough or he's too good or it's da 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 da. And they would work together and form new matches. And I remember overhearing once he's like, I felt like I was just talking to a little man. Like I would talk, I was talking to that little kid like he was a coach, right? Because he was able to talk, you know, intelligently and carry himself in a way. Um, and I remember reading the Celestine Prophecy years ago. And the one lesson that I got out of that is like, talk to their kids like they're adults. Mm -hmm. Just talk directly. You don't have to talk down to them or anything. And so now, you know, they're well-versed, politics, sports, entertainment, all of that stuff, um, so that we can connect with people. So I'm a big, big believer of reading the newspaper every day. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, you're, and you're employing the uh, paper boys still. <laughs> yeah, so so here's a funny story on that. Um, he didn't like reading the newspaper, my older one, so he has it on Instagram and Twitter and da-da-da-da-da, mm -hmm. and he has the app. The he has the Washington app, Post yeah. app. And so he gets the news before they print it. So he'll be talking about something that you haven't read yet. Three days before oh. sometimes. And... Uh, I remember the first time he discovered, I don't remember what the topic was, but he's like, oh yeah, you didn't know that, oh, it was a Google Meet. He's like, oh yeah, Zoom is gonna get hit hard because Google's creating their own Zoom. I think it's called, Google. it wasn't even called Google Meet at the time. And Google I was Hangouts, like, I think was it. maybe it was something yeah. and where you could do the, the video mm -hmm. and the, the chat and all that stuff and share a screen. He's like, yeah, Google is gonna take him out of business. Like, he's like, you didn't know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, where did you find out? And he's like, the Washington Post app. I was like, oh, and three days later, it came out in came the print. Out. I was like, oh, my gosh. Or we were sitting there watching um, uh, one of these movies, uh, a Disney movie or an animated movie, and he just blurted out. He's like, huh, that's Disney's first gay character. He just blurted out while we were watching it. And I was like... How'd you know? He's like, I read an article about it. And I was like, oh, and he was he immediately regretted saying it because then he was justifying the fact that I was making him read the news. Right. I was like, yeah, news is functional. Yeah, and there's so much more knowledge too mm -hmm. with, that they're getting with mm -hmm. the apps and the yep. different yep. social media and aspects. That's awesome. Um, where do you see yourself in the next five years? What was, what's the next big big thing for you? So it's funny you say that because I've been struggling with that question. Um, because the last five years have not gone according to plan. They just haven't. Um, and so 
I find myself in a situation where uh, very much like I was in my previous brokerage where I keep hitting the same ceiling. I'm not breaking through. Sorry. I keep uh, you know, getting to that 100 unit mark and uh, I'm not breaking through. So I realize, you know what? I need to change something about me, right? I need to change. And so I'm starting to work a little bit. I'm starting to work on my leadership lead, um, expanding my leadership skills because I think a lot of times I've had natural leadership skills, but I've taken them for granted. I haven't worked to develop them farther. Um, and um, because I constantly joke with people that sort of eats away at my credibility as a professional, as a successful realtor and so forth, right? Um, and because it makes it seem less than, right? It, it makes it seem like, oh, you know, he's lucky or he just, I can't believe he does it, but I've been doing it for so long at a high level. Uh, so I'm starting to work on some of the things that are going to make me a better leader, either actually or uh, at least perceptually, right? That will lead to attracting talent on a higher level. Um, and so I'm starting to open up my mind with regards to how we can make those relationships work with established realtors who may not have been able to break through um, and realize that together we can, you know, we can achieve more. We can go farther faster, right? I know I have to read Rocket Fuel, right? Um, so no, I mean, if if I were to paint out my next five years, um, my oldest son will be in college, hopefully, and. Um, uh, so I'll have one kid left and I'll want to um, be in a position where I can go visit him more or because I know he'll want that. Right? My kid doesn't <laughs> want their parent to come with <laughs> or that I can start traveling with my wife, just she and I more. Right. Um, or to have just have more time understanding that my last child, once he's gone, he's gone and there are no more. Mm -hmm. Right. I'll be stuck with this stupid dog that <laughs> I got for the dog. kids. Right. <laughs> like, like, who's taking care of the dog now? Um, so um, I want to be in a position where I'm not in production anymore. And I have, I was going to say kids, I have realtors who are doing the production that I am at a very high level. I want to be in a position where I can be more coaching my team instead of being on the team. Um, I want to make sure that, you know, the team is being run by somebody else at a very high level. Um, I also, I used to have aspirations of expansion and growing big that way. And I don't know that I want to have a thousand unit producing team anymore. I want to have a profitable team. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not as concerned with the awards as I once was. I'm more concerned with the profit and making sure that I'm achieving my financial goals, which we're not that far away from, and that my team is achieving their financial goals and that we have a sustainable model that's able to operate whether I'm six weeks in Norway or four weeks in Guatemala. Yeah. Well, I love that you're mm -hmm. focusing on yourself first because that's step one to achieve that. Yeah, yeah. And that's been hard because I've always focused on everyone else first. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, let's say I'm your next prospective client. You are. Why should I call you? <laughs> you are my next prospective. Now that you're married, I'm sure you want another place of your heart right now. And this Why should is... I call you? <laughs> so this is what we say. Even though uh, Minor & Associates is ranked amongst the top 1% uh, of realtors nationwide, we provide our... We... we, we are proud of the personal relationships that we have with our people, right? We're here to provide people with a full service, stress-free, financial rewarding experience that's gonna result uh, in a smile on your face. It's that simple, right? That. It's that simple. Mm -hmm.
All right, I'm ready to reach out to you. What's the best way? Phone number, email, you on social media. What's the best way to get in All of the above. You know where the worst where I'm the worst is Facebook Messenger. I just forget to check that all the time and I can't believe how many people reach out to me on Facebook. I'm like, you're a grown-up man. You're buying a million dollar house. You're gonna reach me over Facebook Messenger? Um, and I don't like and this is how you can tell I'm getting old. I don't like how people don't call for the biggest financial investment of their lives. They text you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you, a teenager? Like, call, pick up the phone. This is a big deal, right? Um, so I like phone calls. You know, I get killed with emails, but emails are good. Texts are good. Um, it's just texts aren't as robust as emails. Like, you can't sort them. You can't search for them as much. Right. Like, And they just get pushed farther and farther and farther down. Um, so if I had to say an order of preference, I prefer a face-to-face meeting if you come to me, because I don't want to drive to you. Um, (laughs) In lieu of that, a phone call, then email, then text, then social media. But you're easy to contact, that's the most important I'm easy to contact, I'm out there. Uh, I'm like America Express, everywhere you want it to be. (laughs) Is that too old of a concept, of a reference? All right, well thank you so much, Mina. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat, and I love hearing just your journey and and all that you've done. Is our 30 minute interview over? (laughs) How far over did we go? (laughs) All right, thank you, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Pro Talk with ProTech. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow ProTech Inspection Services on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.